And I want to continue where he left off last week. We're in the, uh, the series called Summer in the Psalms. And last week, Pastor Tim talked about uh, the man who is blessed. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. And, and I want to continue this theme this week. I want to continue the focus on the scriptures, our attitude, what our attitude should be towards God's word and his teachings. And I want to read from a psalm. I'm not going to read the whole psalm. It has 176 verses. You know what psalm that is, right? It's the longest psalm in the book of Psalms and in the Bible. It's Psalm 119. If you have your Bibles, open it there. If not, just follow along uh, with me. But uh, we're going to go ahead and and read some of the verses here, uh, the first 16 verses. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my mouth that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Psalm 119 is different because if you're familiar with the book of Psalms, that's 150 Psalms, um, it talks a lot about God as a creator, God as a ruler. Uh, Psalm 119 is different. It was, it was probably written by a priest who's really devoted to the Lord. And interestingly enough, this psalm, and there's only a few others in, 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 the, in the book of Psalms that uses an acrostic, using the Hebrew letter. Maybe in your Bible, you might see for every stanza that has eight verses, um, a, a letter like Aleph, Bet, or Gimel, then it continues uh, throughout. Think about A through Z in our alphabet. It uses 22 verses in the Hebrew alphabet. And that's because they didn't have Bible, Bibles like we do. We are really blessed to have so many Bibles with us and versions of the Bible. They didn't have that. So they had the Jewish folks would have to memorize a lot of the scriptures. So a psalm like this with an acrostic using the alphabet would, would be much easier uh, to do. And the main purpose of Psalm 119 is to exalt the word of God, as do Psalm 1 and Psalm 19. We don't know who wrote it, it probably was not David because it, it, the speaker talks about uh, rulers or kings, and David was the second king in uh, Israel. But maybe it was Daniel or maybe it was Ezra. What is clear is the situation of this guy, what he was going through. It tells us that he had um, gone astray. Something happened in his life that he went away from the Lord, but then God used affliction to bring him back. Maybe you can give testimony how God has done that in your own life. But as you study the book of, uh, of Psalm and look specifically here, you're going to notice that this guy went through afflictions. Um, he was going through sorrow. 
Uh, people were just bombarding him, maybe because of his allegiance to the word of God, and he was being ridiculed. Um, it says even in one verse that he was almost wiped from the earth. And what he did was turn to the Lord. Lord, I need you. Comfort me. He looked to God for compassion. He looked to God for hope. He looked to God for mercy. It's an awesome, it's an awesome psalm, which I recommend that you read this week. But what amazes me, my friends, is that as he mentions all the different the physical uh, attacks upon his, lerf, uh, upon his uh, life and also the emotional turmoil, in each one, he consistently went to the word of God. He found his refuge. He found um, his, his help in the word of God. Why? Because God has revealed the word of God to be a blessing in your life. The Holy Spirit will use the word of God to build up your life. And uh, it's, it's a good psalm because sometimes as Christians, we think that everything's rosy. If you're a Christian, you become a follower of Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, there's no problems. There's no confusion. There's no, there's no anxiety. There's no struggles in life. No, you're going to have them. But what we need to do consistently, as the psalmist did, is turn to God through it all. So if I could summarize uh, this chapter, and maybe specifically these first 16 verses, it would be something like this. And if you could open the Venture app there and take notes if you like. God's word is worthy of your heart's commitment. And when you live by its teachings, your life will be blessed. So God wants you to commit your life to his teachings, to him above all things. And when you do that, you will be blessed. Now, what does it mean to be blessed? Some people sometimes have mistaken ideas of what it means to be blessed. So let's ask God's favor and God's help for us this morning. And so, Lord, we, we put our lives before you, and we ask that your word would teach us. We're here to hear from you, and you know the needs here this morning. Draw us closer to you, and may your name be praised. In your, in your name we pray. Amen. So I want to answer one question during our time this morning. How should I think about and respond to the word of God? This morning, as I speak, as I share, as you hear God's word, what I want you to take home is an answer to this question. What should be my attitude towards God, his word, the scriptures? How should I think about the scriptures? Okay, that's what I want to try to focus this morning. The first thing we see, we see in the first few verses in Psalm 119, 1 through 3, is that your life will be blessed when you follow God's word. It says, blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk, in other words, whose life pattern is according to the law, the commands. It's the word Torah in Hebrew. It means instruction. This passage is going to use different verses to talk about uh, the Bible. It's going to talk about statues and precepts and decrees and commands and word and the ways. It uses eight different phrases or words or phrases to, to refer to God's instructions. It says your life will be blessed if you live it according to the law, the Torah, the teachings of God in your life. God's instructions. He says that again in verse 2. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. Why? Because they walk in God's ways. And so it says blessed. And how do we know? What do we know about blessed? If you read the whole psalm and kind of analyze it, don't just rush through it. Take your time. When you read the Bible, take your time. But what does it mean to be blessed? And you're going to figure out as you read through it what it means to be blessed from this psalm. And one of the things says is that you have peace in your life. 
It's not that the absence of problems. The psalmist tells us there are plenty of problems. Just look what's going on in my life. But it is peace in your life. It's God's sustaining power. You don't have to rely on your own power. But there's a power that's greater than any other power in this world. And the Bible says that more powerful, stronger is he who is in you than he who is in the world. This talks about joy in your life. It talks about the word of God being a light to your path. These are all blessings, a sense of freedom in your heart. In other words, you're not going to be weighed down by sin and its destructive force in your life. It will help you live a life that honors the Lord. And notice that he speaks about being blameless. Now, you get scared here. You say, wait, and blameless? Only Jesus was blameless. Yes, that's true. He is the perfect man of Psalm 1, and he is that righteous man of Psalm 119. But he is our standard. He is the one that we run after. He is the one that we want to emulate. He's the one we want to be like. Amen? And so it says here that we are to blameless. The Hebrew word there doesn't mean perfect, like nothing wrong with you, no, no sin. It means somebody who's genuine, somebody who has integrity of heart. There is congruency in your life between what you say and how you live your life. Not perfection. Only Jesus is perfect. But he says, you want to live a life that's blessed by the Lord? Yes, I do. That means you're going to be characterized by a heart that has genuine longing for God. You're going to be a man of integrity, a woman of integrity. You know, every day you and I must make a choice of how we are to live our lives. And so the question we ask is, where, where do you go for contentment? Where do you find your deepest joy, your happiness? How do you spend your time? What drives you? Honestly, what drives you? The psalmist says that if you want to be blessed, you need to be blameless. That is, you need to order your life after God's teachings. So how should I think about and respond to the word of God? Well, the text, and that's how we do messages. We look to the text. The text, the text says you want to be blessed, fulfilled, whole, happy, joyful. Follow me. Follow me. But second, he says, you need to have an attitude of humility and confession. Look at those verses, verses 4 through 8. You have laid down precepts that are to be what? Fully obeyed. He says in verse 5, obey the decrees. Verse 8, I will obey your decrees. You know, sometimes in this age of grace that we live, that we understand that God's forgiveness is final, that if you mess up, you know, the Lord forgives us because we are in Christ. And that's, that's a doctrine we preach in this church. But yet there's a call to be holy. There's a call for the church to be different. There's a call for us to give our whole life, our greatest passions, our, long, long, our, our greatest longings to know God, to worship him, to make him known. And he talks about obedience and attitude of humility and confession. You know, we're not going to be perfect. And all of us, we need Jesus. But he talks about obedience. That should characterize my life. Monday morning when I wake up, it's not like I'm scratching my head. I wake up and I say, Lord, I praise you for a new day of life because I open my, my eyes to a new day. But Lord, this day, I want to honor you. 
Lord, I want to know your word, and I want to live a life of obedience to your word. Tuesday mornings, I get up, and the first thing I say is, Lord, Lord, I thank you because I woke up. I have a new day. But Lord, may this day be for your glory and your honor. You know, we need to be humble about our shortcomings. Verse 5 and 6, he says, oh, that my ways were steadfast. He's like saying, yeah, you're blessed when, when you follow the Lord, but now I'm looking at my life. I'm going, wait, wait, wait. Am I really that steadfast? Do I persevere? Do I always got it together? No. And so it's okay. We need to be humble. We need to share when we're not doing too good. When we drop the ball, we need to come before the God and say, God, I confess my sins to you. I need you. The NLT, the New Living Translation, verses, verse 5 says, Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. It's like a prayer. I know what you want, but God, I see sometimes the inconsistency in my life. Lord, will you help me live a life that's consistent, that honors you? That reminds me of uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote 13 of the 27 letters in the New Testament. A great man, a great theologian, great pastor, great missionary. And in chapter 7 of Romans, verse 15, he wrote, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And then later on, he talks about the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. But the reality is that when we act in ways that don't match up who we are in Christ, our spirit is going to let us know. That's why Ephesians 4.30 says these words, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't sadden the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. See, we're Trinitarians. We believe in one God. We're monotheists. We're not polytheists. We believe in one God who manifests himself eternally in three persons, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, wants to teach us how to follow Jesus. And sometimes we offend him. And the context there in Ephesians 4 is about how we treat our brothers if we're we're speaking the truth, if we're honoring people, my words. And he says, sometimes our behavior grieves the Holy Spirit. Don't do that because you've been marked. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption, that final day of redemption where you will go and meet Jesus face to face. You've been sealed. It's guaranteed. It's done. You are in Christ. It's eternal. And if that's true then don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Then he says, praise or worship as we learn God's word. Look at verse 7 and 8. He says, I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. Do you see the connection? We think worship is this. Sunday morning, we come, Lord, let's go to worship. And it is. It's part of worship. Worship, if you want a definition, is to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. But it deals also with your attitude towards the word of God. That's why he says, Lord, I want to praise you. I want to worship you as I learn the scriptures. And one old commentator, Lupo, said these words. In practice, you praise God by esteeming his word so precious that you make it your business to learn it. Let me say that again. And I want to get an amen after this. All right. In practice, you praise God by esteeming, honoring his word so precious that you make it your business to learn it. And he says, such learning is an act of praise. Oh, I love it. I was so excited when I was uh, preparing this because God has touched my heart through the word of God. And I want to commit 
and communicate that to you. We need to acknowledge the blessed, happy life for those whose way is blameless. A man, a woman of integrity. Not perfect, but man, my heart is genuine. I love Jesus. And when I see incongruency in my life, it affects me. Now that I've lost my salvation, not that God has left me. I'm in Christ. Nothing can separate me from God. But when I sin against God, when I see what God says about being a blessed man, and, the, and then see inconsistency in my life, I dishonor the Lord. So we need to know that you're blessed when you follow God. That God wants you to have a humble and, and, and attitude and one of confession. I need you, Jesus. But thirdly, I should respond with uh, the, the word of God by being pure. <laughs> it's a call for purity. Look at number three. It's a pure life that seeks not to sin against God. How can a young man keep his way pure? And the Hebrew word is a boy. A boy, a young man, an adolescent. And it's man in Hebrew. It's not woman. Why? Because men need to be leaders in a home. Oftentimes, your home will rise or fall based upon the example of a man. That's why some versions will say a person. And that's okay because the general idea is a man, but God wants all of us to be holy. But here specifically, he's talking to, to me, a man, and you as a man if you're here. A leader of a home, spiritual leader of a home. And we need God if we're going to be that type of leader. He says, how can a young man keep his way pure? How? how do you want to, if you want to live a life that's pure, that's holy, that doesn't, conf, doesn't sin against God and, and doesn't refuse the blessing or reject the blessings of God, then live according to the word of God. Then he says, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What this passage really is implying is that we need to become more like Jesus, the perfect man, of whom the book of Hebrews says of Jesus that he came. I have come to do your will, O God. That was Jesus' intent in coming. I'm coming to do the will of God. And if it means going to Calvary and dying for humanity, if it means dying on behalf of the world, becoming sin for the world, the holy becoming unholy for the world, then I'll do it. I have come to do the will of God. And Jesus is that perfect man. He is the one that we have to follow. He is the one that we have to emulate. And although we are holy in Christ, everyone, young and old, must look to the Lord and seek to live a life of purity because Jesus, our Lord, was and is holy. And in our world today, this isn't easy for any of us. Yet 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says that God's will. You want to know what God's will? The Bible tells you over and over what God's will. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says God's will is for you to be separate. That you separate your life for God. That you be holy. It is your sanctification. Everywhere we look, we are being bombarded to act in ungodly ways. To question God's order for marriage in Genesis. To reinvent our sexuality and to be free to choose as we fit. No standard, no objective morality, but whatever your heart desires, that you can pursue. 
The psalmist says, you want to be blessed, happy, with a conscience that's at peace, then choose purity, honor, respect, love for the Lord and his word. And I think both Christian young men and women want to know what it means to be pure. I think we have teenagers in this church that are struggling because they're being bombarded day and night by all the messages in this world. And they need to know what scripture says and why, God. Don't lie. Why? Because God is true. Live a life of purity. Why? Because God is pure. Every command that we give our children has to be attached, connected to the person of God, his attributes, his, his character. Don't just tell them, don't do this, don't do that. Tell them why. Because we want to reflect God in our lives. That's why. I think both young men and women need our help. How can they live their lives in a way that honors the Lord? God's design for the bodies and yet remain pure in a highly sexually charged culture. I think we need youth in college, men and women who will be mentors. I think this is a passage that calls you and me to say, I want to be pure because of everything the context is teaching us, but because there's young people that are looking to us and they want to see a standard of not perfection, but of men and women, mommies and daddies and grandpas and people at the church and our family here at Venture that say, I will live a godly life for God's honor, but kids need me. Young men need me. College students need me. Men and women need me. They need me to be a mentor, to love them. We need men and women who take God and his word seriously, who could step up and help the younger generations. The psalmist asks in verse 9, how can a young man or person keep his way pure? And answers, by living according to your word. And then adds in verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And that was the psalmist cry in Psalm 119, 33. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no, rule, let, let no sin rule over me. That was his cry. That was his prayer. But did you notice that the psalmist said about the heart? He mentioned hiding the word of God in his what? In his heart. And that is significant. You've got you to gotta get what he's saying about the heart. Four times in the first 11 verses, he mentions the heart. In verse 2, blessed are those who seek him with all their heart. Verse 7, I will praise you with an upright heart. Verse 10, I seek you with all my heart. Verse 11, I have hidden you, your, heart, your word in my heart. The word heart appears many times in Psalm 119, and it's used many times in the scriptures. And when the Bible talks about heart, yes, it talks also about the, the blood, the organ, uh, as an organ pumping blood, yes. But metaphorically, it talks about the seat, the center of, of emotions and will and conscience. It's the innermost part of a person. That's what heart refers to. And Jesus had a lot to talk about the heart, what drives us, our thoughts. For example, in Matthew 6, 21, he says, for where your treasure is, there your what? Heart will be also. Here's your treasure. If that's your treasure, that's where your heart's going to be. If that's your treasure, that's where your heart's going to be. Where is your treasure? 
whatever is most meaningful to you, whatever you love the most, go to it because that's where your heart is at. In Matthew 12, 34, he says, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Hang around people and listen to the conversations and you're going to know what's important to them. Matthew 22, 37, love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is important. One commentator said this about the heart. The heart is the center of a person's attention and commitment. What, what are you committed to? You? What do you give attention to more than anything else? Your answer to that question will tell you where your heart is at. The late Tim Keller, which so many people learned so much from, he said, what the heart most loves is what it most trusts and commits itself to. What we might ask this morning, what holds my attention? What is my heart? Your heart committed to most. You got to answer that. What is your heart most committed to? Keller goes on to say, whatever we most value and cherish in our hearts subtly but irrefutably controls the whole person's direction and value. What do you value in your life that you can't get enough of? What are you committed to? I grew up like many other kids here in this church. I was baptized in Miami in a church, small church in Miami. When I was 12 years old, many years have passed. And it was not until I was about 18 years old that my life had a, a heart transformation. I mean, I was in church every Sunday, like a lot of our kids. I would go to youth events every once in a while, like a lot of our kids. It wasn't until 1980, during a youth week at our church, that something powerful happened to me. Perhaps it was the first moment that I came to know God. Maybe it was my spiritual birth. I was born again, maybe then. Or maybe it's when I really understood the Lordship of Jesus Christ in my life. But something happened that reversed the direction of my life. I was going a certain way, and that encounter with Jesus turned my life around. Yeah, I went to church. Yeah, I listened to sermons. I was there Sunday morning. That church, Spanish churches, many years ago, they had Spanish churches at night, sometimes Wednesday, Wednesday nights. But this book has not become real in my life. Something happened. I was there. I was in church, but nothing was getting through. I heard the word of God every week. But had I experienced it personally, had I tasted it, had I longed for the word of God, and my answer has to be no. But that week, my heart was changed changed by God's spirit and a newfound love and thirst for studying and knowing God's word became a new reality in me. Now I know that all of our experiences are not going to be the same. They're different, but let me ask you a few questions. As you listen to the Psalm, not me, as you listen to the word of God that we're preaching this morning, do you identify with the passion and the love that he has for God? Are you seeking God with all your heart? Are you living a life that is holy and upright, fearing and honoring the Lord? Are you hiding God's word in your heart because you don't want to sin against the Lord? And if not, why not? 
throughout Psalm 119, which has 176 verses. The term heart appears 14 times. The Word of God is the central theme of Psalm 119, but it has sub-themes. And one of the sub-themes in Psalm 119 is the heart. That's not by accident. I think somehow the psalmist is trying to connect with us the fact that if you're going to be a blessed man or woman that seeks after God, has a heart for God, that recognizes when you sin and you, you confess your sins before the Lord, and, and, and yet you say, Lord, help me live a life that honors you, something has to transform your heart. Something has to change your heart. Something has to fill your heart so that becomes the greatest love of your life. God, his word, and the ministry he's called you. And maybe that's why Keller says these words that are powerful. I was going to leave it out because I have 30 minutes. But Keller said these words. What the heart most loves and trusts, the mind finds reasonable, the emotions find desirable, and the will finds doable. Let that sink in a minute. That hit me right between my eyes right here. What the heart most loves and trusts, the mind says, oh, yeah, that's good. That's reasonable. The emotions find, I want that, desirable. And the will, I don't have time for that. No, the will finds doable. How should I think and respond to the word of God? Three basic truths. Know that your life will be blessed as you follow the teachings of God's word. Remember to be humble and confess when you mess up and drop the ball. Third, choose today. Choose today. You got to make a choice. I got to make a choice. Every day, I have to make a choice. Ladies, you have to make a choice. Men, you have to make. Teenagers, middle school, high school, college, you have to make a choice. Choose today to live godly before the Lord as you seek to praise God by your investment in learning and keeping God's word in your heart. Finally, did you catch verse 12 when we read that? He said, praise be to you, O Lord. What's the word? Teach me. Wow. Can you say that this morning? Really, honestly, that, that's my prayer this morning. Venture family. Venture family. That we will leave this place saying, Lord, teach me. I want to learn your word. I want you to teach me. Teach me. I don't know what is best for my life Lead me, Lord. Teach me. Teach me your decrees, your ways, your word. When you read Psalm 119, that's the prayer over and over and over again. Lord, teach me. Teach me to obey. Teach me to love. Teach me to follow. Teach me, Lord. Teach me how to be a righteous and holy husband and father. That's been my prayer since my little girls were born. Help me be a, a man of God. Not perfect. But I want, to, I want to lead my girls. I want to be an example to my wife. Teach me, Lord, how to honor you in my relationship with my girlfriend or my boyfriend or my future husband and wife. May that relationship be pure. Teach me, Father, how to wait for your timing. Teach me, Lord, how to love others and to forgive them when I've been hurt, when they've offended me. Help me to love them. Help me to forgive. Teach me, dear Savior, how to point others to Jesus. Teach me to wait on you and your hope during the period of trial and sickness 
and uncertainty that I'm going through. Teach me, Lord, about your faithfulness and goodness. Oh, my, my friends, it's a cry. Teach me, Lord. Lord, teach me. God, I want to know. I want to receive. I want to be molded by your word. And if that's true, it means we have to get in the book. There's no substitute. I, I, by discipline, get into the book. I, I don't understand. No excuse. There's so many resources on the internet today that can help you. We're here. Leaders are here. Pastor Tim, Pastor Sean, Pastor Fernando, myself, other leaders. We're, we're here to help you take that next step. There's so much more there in verses 13 through 16, but I want to encourage you this week to read Psalm 190. Would you do that? And next week, you know me, I'm always out there in the corridor. This is what I want you to do. If you read it, when you look at me and I look at you, just go. Or if you want, that will tell me you read it. Slowly. Just flavor it. And prayerfully read it. I promise you, something would happen in your life this week. I promise you. If not, I'll buy you a coffee. All right? Something will happen because the Word of God is powerful. That's what God says. He promises to change us, to build us up. Last week, I was so happy. See, when a pastor preaches, it's awesome to hear you guys say, hey, good, good, good job, pastor, whatever. That's cool. If you don't want to say anything, that's, that's fine. But this is what really gets to us. Last week, a young married man came up to me and said, I want to take the next step. What does that mean? How, how, how do I grow in the Lord? Can you help me? I just embraced them. Oh, that we would have two, three, five, a dozen men like that young man, married man last week that said, I want more. I want what the psalmist had. I want to sense that blessing. I want to live humbly, confessing my sins. I want to live a life of purity because when there's purity in your life, there's power and peace in your life. Lord, teach me. Teach me. Don't know where you are today. Maybe you're dealing with anxiety, depression, sickness. Situations are difficult. I'll tell you, the guy who wrote this, uh, he was very open. Yeah, I love the Lord. I love the Word of God. But Lord, help me through all these afflictions and sorrow. And people mocking me because I was standing for the truth in a culture that hated God. But I stood true to the Word of God. And I can feel the ridicule of people, but I'm going to stand on the truth of God's word. I don't know where you are, but Psalm 119 is an awesome psalm. I encourage you prayerfully, read it. Spend 20, 30 minutes and read it slowly. Think through it. Begin to make the connections in the sub-themes. Underline. Use a highlighter. Take notes. Have your little journal. Ask questions of the passage. Be a student of God's word. Your life will be transformed. Your life will be, I, I promise you. May the Lord work in our hearts. May this be a new week for us that we leave this place saying, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your message. And God, drive me. Drive that truth in my heart and lead me closer to you. I want to make you known. I want to share Christ. I want to know you better. May that be our heart's cry this morning. Let's pray.
God, this is a prayer this morning. Give us a heart for the word of God. Would you pray that silently if that's your prayer in your heart right now? God, give me a heart for the word because we have a heart for you. Remove the idols, the objects from our lives that we should love less so that we might come to love you most. Create in me, in us, a greater passion to know your word because we have grown to want to know you more deeply in our lives. Teach us in the areas of hurt, uncertainty, and worry with the truth of your word and the assurance that you are near. Lord, may we surrender. Lord, may we surrender to you and to your word with all of our hearts and devotion. Lord, speak to every man, speak to every woman, every young man, young woman, every father, mother, grandparent. And Lord, we thank you that this morning we've been able to worship. We love you, we need you, and we glorify you, Jesus. We pray these things in the powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let us stand as we end this morning.